Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today are Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Morning, Simon. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago. Hello, Johnny. Good morning, podcast. And this week we're continuing our world tour and we have Svetlana Belinsky in the Netherlands. Hello, Svetlana. Hello there. This week, we're going to be chatting to Svetlana about her photography with classic lenses. But before we do that, here's Johnny with some feedback from last week's episode about 24 to 28 millimeter lenses. Right. Um, we did have some uh, some good feedback both in uh, the Classic Lenses group on Facebook and also over at mflenses.com. Um, I'm actually going to recap this a little bit later since I've got you know my typical long blustery statements about this. But we had some nice feedback about 24 and 28 and also how it relates to 35 millimeter lens design. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, other goings on, I know that uh, this week we had uh, a nice conversation that Carl kicked off about post your hashtag classic best. Um, and maybe can, Carl can tell us a little bit about that and also about some uh, experiments he did this week with different wide angle lenses on the Fuji and the Sony. Um, and I wanted to give a, a, a shout out to um, Devlin Cook from Abu Dhabi, who I met this week um, in Central Camera. He, he comes in every once in a while. He, he travels through and he came in and said hi. And he mentioned, hey, are you are you the same Johnny that's on the Classic Lenses podcast? And I mean, my, you know, my jaw dropped um, because, you know, he, he mentioned he he's listened now to eight or nine episodes um, and was really enjoying it. But I guess we're we really are getting out there around the world. So I, I think, Devlin, um, I know you're not on on Facebook and you're not on uh, Instagram, but I think I found your Flickr. And even if it's not yours, I'm going to put a link. <laughs> We're going to put a link in the podcast because it's really excellent. I'm pretty sure it's yours. Um, but anyway, Devlin's Devlin's photography is really excellent. He's a he's a great guy. So um, so we'll put that in there so you can uh, see more from one of our podcast listeners. Um, so Carl, did you want to talk to us about uh, what what happened this week with Classic Best? Yeah, sure. Um, so I put this post on just for, and it says just for fun, um, post your favorite photo taken during the last two weeks with a classic lens and tell us what the lens was and, and why you like the lens. What are the unique characteristics of the lens that are, that are interesting to you? And we got, and this is amazing. At first it started off really slow and I thought, well, this is a dud. It's not going to work. But we got 169 images posted or co comments in total. And they're really good. And, um, and people hashtagged it classic best which I like because we've got something that's going to serve multiple purposes. Now, one, one thing is that if, if someone uh, has to ask us about classic lenses and the kind of pictures you can take with them, we can just tell them to go to our page and, and type hashtag classic best, and they're going to see a huge range of things from bokeh shots to wide angle shots. They're really, really fan, fantastic stuff. And it, it shows really nicely the, the quality of photos that, are, that our members are able to take with their classic lenses. And I also, um, I like it because one of the things that came out of it, and this is really what I wanted to get, was um, a, a list of attributes that people value about their classic lenses. And it's everything from uh, a nice soft background to um, a soft look to the lens, to an old lens look, to sharpness, to bokeh, to all the kind of things that you can think of. And we, we might pick up on this for a future podcast and go back and talk about some of these photos and what some people said. And then um, talk about um, some of the lenses that we've experienced that have those same 
attributes, I think it could be really helpful, especially to people that are thinking about future lens purchases. So I'll talk about the um, lens comparison thing I did a little bit later. I, I will tell you about um, um, also later a, a bizarre thing I tried to do of, of putting a Series 1 Voigtlander 15mm on a Sony camera, which doesn't work too well, but I think that'll come out as we have our discussion today. All right. Thank you very much, Carl. Um, yeah, definitely interesting thread. I, I have to say, whenever I see something on the page that says post your best or post your favorite or post your whatever, I'm like, I just get paralyzed. So I haven't posted yet, <laughs> but I've been a, I need to post because I, I just hate having to, you know, I start to think too much about what I've done recently or whatever. Um, well, the, two but old, I, the two old cars in the garage, in the driveway near your house. Oh, That's thanks. Okay. Photo. Oh, all right. And yeah. it can also promote it can also promote the Greenomatic and get some more people buying those. <laughs> oh man, I love my Greenomatic. It's cruising. I feel like every day it, I feel like um it's been given like a uh it's like terminally ill and the doctor said, Well, I don't know, could die tomorrow, could be two years, who knows? And I feel like every day that I have with that camera is like this moment of borrowed time. So, yeah, I've been enjoying that camera. Definitely more coming from that. So, um, so I want to talk about uh, going back to feedback from last episode. I want to call this the twenty-eight millimeter deep state. Um, and the, this this uh, kind of feedback came out of the the some feedback that um, arose out of our twenty-eight and thirty-five uh, millimeter lens design conversation. And I had made the I don't know the assertion that um, 28 millimeter lenses uh, are are cheaper and easier to make than 35 millimeter lenses. And I want to talk a little, and there was, there was a few questions about that. And I want to talk a little bit about where I was coming from with that. Um, I, I was speaking particularly about, and I, I, I believe I said this right, you know, during the episode, but um, looking at the kind of the, the prime era of SLR, photography so we're talking late 70s you know 80s up into the early 90s when everybody it seems had a a 50 millimeter lens that came with their camera kit and then they had a 135 and a 28 and i i had said that the reason everybody had a 135 and a 28 is that they were they were cheap to make um and you know profitable for the manufacturers and everybody in the photography world, I'm sure there's a bajillion articles on Shutterbug or whatever talking about the virtues of 28 millimeter lenses. So um, everybody had them. And I, I think my, the, I, what I was saying was they are so plentiful now because everybody had them back in the day. So if, you know, if you're, you know, getting started with uh, classic lenses, you're probably going to be tripping over 135s and 28s. And, and so, so my comment had been cheap and easy to make, right? So here, here's kind of where I'm coming from with that. If you look at um, lens design from that era, I think you will see that um, the the really high end 28 millimeter lenses, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk here about some of the Nikkor stuff in particular. Um, these lenses tended to be like the, if we look at the uh, 28 millimeter uh, Nikon 2.8 AI. We've got a, a seven element and seven seven groups, which means you've essentially got individual elements, air spaced, that are uh, really really well made, um, very precisely made, you know, put together to make a, a great image. And if you look at uh, the third party manufacturers, you see a lot of twenty eight millimeter lenses that are um, multiple cemented 
uh, elements together. So basically less complex lens elements that are, you know, glued together and then coded to give a, a similar sort of uh, rendering. Um, and, but that's less, it's really a less expensive way to make it because you're not making the initial glass elements are not as complex. And it sort of holds through for uh, 35s as well. Um, so that's really where I, where, where I was coming from with that, that statement. And I, and I think if you look at uh, what the manufacturers were doing, they were producing uh, really high-end 28s and 35s. And then 28s in particular, there are this slew of third-party 28s. And, and keep in mind the manufacturers, the name brand manufacturers, Nikon, Canon, et cetera, by this time, they're all working with a, a big supply chain of other folks that are making various different parts for them, for their SLRs and for their lenses. So they've essentially, what they've done is given the lower end part of the market over to some of those manufacturers who need to survive to supply them with stuff that they need to make their equipment, right? Um, and they're selling the higher end glass for the aficionado that really wants the Canon or the Nikon lens to go with their Canon or Nikon camera body. Again, many other manufacturers out there, but let's just throw it to Canon and Nikon who were kind of leading at that time. Um, so that I think really speaks to why there are, are, are so many of those lenses available today. Um, and if, even if you look at the current lens lineup from Canon and Nikon who are um, in a position right now where they have to be extremely cost competitive with each other and with third party manufacturers, if you look at the, their lens lineups from 24 through 35 millimeter, um, their 28s tend to be the least expensive lenses today as well. And I think that's a better reflection of uh, actual cost of manufacturing these days than back in the back in the day when they made a lot more profit. So um, that's the 28 millimeter lens conspiracy in a nutshell. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if uh, it, maybe we'll get some feedback on that as well. Um, but I, I, I think it comes down to maybe one key factor to consider is that 28 millimeter lenses are really about embracing distortions. Um, and 35 millimeter lenses are, are generally held to a higher standard. They really need to perform more like normal lenses. So they're being comp compared more to the performance of 50 millimeter lenses, whereas 28s are getting compared more to the performance of wider angle lenses, which by nature, you know, are, have more distortions. So, um, so that's, the, that's where I'm coming from with talking about, uh, 35s being more complex, more expensive than, than 28s. Okay. I think you're forgiven now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I could be totally wrong. I mean, I, you know, so, but that, that's, that's my, uh, I, I, that's the 28 millimeter deep state. <laughs> I, well, I, I suppose the, 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 the question that comes out of that is um, if you were to make um, a 28 millimeter lens um, and a 35 millimeter lens and they were in the same price category, yeah, are you which which would be the easier lens to make if they were to, built to the same specification? Uh, because in my my mind, uh, mm -hmm. it would be harder to make the 28 than the 35. Um, but I suppose your point there about distortions, if you're prepared to uh, have, have more distortion, then it's, it's not that difficult to make the 28. Yeah, it, well, yeah, and that's sort of what I was speaking to. I mean, if you look at the higher end lenses, you know, again, just I'm looking at, I was looking at diagrams of some of the, the really good Nikon stuff. Um, and like a, a 
you know, they're 28 F2 AIS is nine elements and eight groups, right? They're, um, their 35 F2 is eight elements and six groups. And if you look at these diagrams, yes, they are they are absolutely expensive and complex to make. I mean, the 28 in particular has these big fat, you know, lens elements in the center of the groups, which are those are really complex to make and expensive to make. So the higher end, you know, the higher end flagship manufacturer stuff, no doubt about it. There, there's there's kind of no shortcut there. And they were priced accordingly. I mean, those were those were much more expensive lenses, which again is why you see so many 28 millimeter lenses from that kind of late seventies up into the nineties era floating around by third party manufacturers, which would have cost, I'm guessing, um, much less than half the cost of those flagship name brand manufacturer, you know, 28s and 35s. So yeah, you get to the high end and for sure there's all of it is uh, complex. It's really, I think more the um, uh, if we we describe the plethora of thirty fives or of twenty eights, it's it, what we're really seeing is is that third party stuff made by a number of manufacturers, and it's not to say they're not good lenses. I mean, I, some of them are really pretty superb, but um, much less expensive to the consumer who was buying them, who who were buying them at the time, um, and I would say much less expensive to make a. Uh, a less uh, a, a less expensive, you know, twenty eight than a, uh, a a more complex thirty five. If that makes sense. Okay, a couple of things to add to what you just said, and specifically since you were talking about Nikon lenses. So the early Nikon twenty um, eights, they were also just five element lenses, and it was at the AIS stage that they went up to eight elements and the floating element in the CRC. Um, naming of the lens so that's the point where they got really complex with that lens and um it's interesting to compare those two lenses because i had them at the same time the 28 ai five element and the 28 mm -hmm. ais eight and the the ais is a far superior lens yeah in all ways that i could see and it's interesting though on ebay they're not priced a, a hugely <laughs> different amount of money i mean within 80 to 100 dollars of each other maybe yeah well, and and I think today, I mean, to, just to go back to the conversation, um, twenty-eight millimeter lenses are just—they're not the more expensive lens anymore. You know, I mean, for for a, a point in time, they they were um, the the more complex. If you look at the price catalogs from back in the day, um, some of the twenty-eights were actually more expensive than the thirty-fives, and I think it's more because you had the marketing. Everybody was saying you needed a twenty-eight, so the manufacturers were glad to sell you. A more expensive 28 if you weren't buying a 35 um but if you look now and that even the new the new lens catalog from canon and nikon the 28 tends to be the the cheapest lens in that whole lineup there and i just think that's because the market changed um and 28 was t really 28 and 35 to some degree are not as popular you know prime lenses as they were way back in the day so i yep. think it just carries over to where we are at the present time yeah. Yep. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, zoom lenses, um, standard zooms, have probably killed the uh, absolutely the, 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 the shorter <laughs> primes. Um, especially yeah. the, you can have a a, a two point eight standard zoom now, uh, either twenty eight to 
80 or 30 or 70 or something like that and it's not a it's it's not lightweight lens but it's um it's not a huge lens either so uh yeah. i think i think that's that pretty much spelt the end of uh, them being mass 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 market lenses really i guess yeah yeah Okay, well, thanks for that, Johnny. Um, sure. I think uh, we'll move on to uh, this week's episode now. Um, and uh, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Svetlana Belinsky, uh, who from this point onwards, I think I'm not going to start calling Lana <laughs> in case I uh, mispronounce the name once more. I know uh, Svetlana is, uh, is is okay with Lana. Um, and, um, and she's one of our more prolific ph- photographers on the f- Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group. And uh, judging by your post, you seem to be a big fan of the Voigtlander 50mm 4.5 super wide Heliar. Um, perhaps you could uh, tell our listeners a bit more about yourself and your photography. Well, hello. Um, it's uh, good to be talking because Facebook is great, but it's very uh, digital, you know. So I do like, uh, I'm old enough, you know, to like uh, voices. So uh, thank you for my- inviting me over. Um, a bit about myself. I mean, I ca- I'm not capable of doing a conversation like what Pear did or, or uh, Giza. So, you know, my photography uh, past is not that, you know, um, remarkable. Um, I think I've always had a camera. I don't remember me not having a camera, but it would be like an automatic uh, camera that, you know, would just help me uh, capture, you know, things that I saw Events, yeah, not, not nothing for pleasure or anything. And I think the first time I got a proper camera with interchangeable lenses was maybe only six, seven years ago. And at that point in time, so I just gone through a stress, you know, of my husband working himself into a pneumonia and not willing to go to the doctor, etc. So you know, after managing to get him there, you know, and putting him on the recovery path, I was quite stressed. And I thought, okay, now I need to do something for myself. And uh, I just got myself a um, Nikon with um, a couple of lenses. And I I mean, he knew better than to say anything uh, to that. Uh, So I got myself a Nikon. And then at some point I got a um, big Zoom 18-300 that I really loved because it did everything for me next to my um, uh, micro lens. Uh, the 50 millimeter and 35 I also had, but I never used them too much. So I was mostly going either with macro or with my 18-300, but the 18-300 was huge. Yeah, it was really, oh, it's, it's like a kilo and a half or something. Yeah, so I always ended up having a very, very big handbag, you know, with the camera and diapers and things, you know, the, the cookies and everything for, for the kids. And then after quite a few years, I thought I want something smaller. Yeah, so I got myself a, a Sony, um, I think, RX100, like a compact, which is very nice. But, you know, after a few weeks, I realized that I do miss holding the lens. So and that's when I got myself a an Olympus OMD. And uh, after a few months of having an Olympus, I stumbled across a very nice photograph, I think on 500px, with like very pretty bokeh with bubbles, you know, like beautiful. And I thought like, Jesus, how did they do that? And then I read the inscription and it said, um, whatever, something trio plan. And I was like, what? 
support the Hackers Trio plan. So I Googled, Googled it up and I realized that, okay, it's, it's a vintage lens, so you can use a vintage lens as well. And uh, I decided I really want it. And there was one in the local market that I bought quite cheaply. And that's how it all started for me, uh, you know, with, with the classic lenses. I know, Simon, you think it's a um, whatever whatever you called it, one-trick. A one-trick one pony. <laughs> po- pony, not donkey. Okay, so one-trick pony, I like completely disagree with you uh, here. But, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I still love this lens dearly. Uh, but it was my, you know, first classic one. And then I started reading up a little bit. And then I think I got myself a Helios and... At that point, I probably uh, got involved in the group because I was just reading and looking, you know, who says what, who uses what, and, you know, j- just, um, and, I mean, joining this group never sort of reduces your uh, gear acquisition syndrome, right? So, and then, then it started, and then the lenses started coming in, and in and in. Um, and a lot of them I found very, uh, you know, pleasant and nice to use. Some I tried and I put aside, you know, um, I'm, I'm not to be gone, uh, say, selling off. Uh, I need to do this more, but, you know, I never have time for it. And then at, at some point again in, in this group, I started seeing those wonderful shots, I think, um, from Dan, Dan Goshen. Yeah, like wide angle, but, you know, very sharp and great depth of field and you know clouds are moving and people are moving gorgeous you know and it, those shots were always saying heliar 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 and i hadn't i hadn't had a voitlander lens before so i started considering and i looked on ebay and they were pretty expensive and then you know as is quite common with me you know if if something is destined to happen i mean it happens on quite uh, interesting terms and then i ended up uh, actually buying a um my voitlander my super white helior from an expat you know in an office next door for like half the price because i guess the guy just didn't like it on his like whatever he's shooting uh you know like um, something he didn't like it and you know he probably got it with the camera and he just wanted to get rid of it so that that's how i ended up um having that lens and I was you know I was really loving it on my Olympus and then Carl started you know posting the pictures uh, with Heliar on a Fuji you know and I thought okay now I'm not gonna buy Fuji but I'm gonna have a look at it Uh, so I went to the shop just to have a look and then I compared the sort of how much extra um, say angle is captured on a Fuji so I, I did end up buying it uh, and I must say, uh, yeah, that this little lens is never coming off uh, Fuji, almost never, almost never coming off the Fuji now. So, yeah, that that's sort of the uh, my, uh, you know, a bit of my photographic background and how I ended up here. I must say my father was a professional photographer. And uh, I guess one thing that I never learned from him is photography. I think he he was always happy talking to me, but then I was a teenager and he was always happy happy talking to me about about the business side of the thing. You know, the art directors and the, uh, you know, how they, whatever business works, but he never bothered really explaining the, say, the technical side. So this, unfortunately, I never learned from him, but I think it probably must be somewhere in the genes because I do do like um, 
taking pictures a lot. Yeah, I'm 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 not never doing this commercially or anything. It's really just for fun. But um, yeah, that's me. Well, it's it's interesting you've you you brought back up that uh, comment I made about the uh, I call it a trio plan, but lots of people call it a trio plan, like yourself. Um, and uh, I I I criticised it, which um, clearly that's that stung um, a little bit. Um, certainly with your response at the time, yeah, it's um, on the list, yeah, yeah, and. Um, I just, I just feel I, I probably need to put a little bit more context behind what I, when I said I called it a, a one-trick pony, um, and that's, yes, that that was a bit unfair, um, but the the reason why I I feel that way is because it's it's used. Um, what the vast majority of users use it in the same way. They tend to put it onto mm-hmm. extension rings and uh, to bring down the minimum focus to to uh, a sub macro level, and then give um, and, and get the the soap bubble bulker uh, soap bubble bokeh uh, effect, which is what it's famous for. Um, I, I guess you know, and it, it does that really well. And if you like that effect, then 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 that that's great. Uh, I think my issue is is largely because of the cost of the lens mm-hmm. and the the following that lens has gone has got to such a point where the i, I view it as being a, a, a quite vastly overpriced lens um and, you know it's not difficult to find one for say 500 euros or you know that that kind of level and you can actually achieve a very very similar effect by spending um, a, a relatively small amount of money on uh, either a very very poor lens, such as like um, there's a lens that I use. It's called the uh, Exactar, and it's a 55 millimeter f 1.8. It's on M42, and it produces pretty much the same the same effect. And you also get the same effect from there's a Fuji, the uh, Fuji 55 2.2, and many. Uh, projection lenses and and what these lenses generally have in common with them they're overcorrected and they they're not particularly high quality lenses and uh, and and it's it, it it annoys me a little bit that you know we're paying a lot of money or people are paying a lot of money for a lens that um, is is overcorrected and uh, and that that irks me yeah, I understand. But but Tria Plan, I think, is used mostly for the bubbles, but it can do more. But I think for uh, people who are doing like wall art and, you know, the, the art type of photography, it's it's quite a great tool. And I think that's where the price uh, is coming from. And maybe Meyer Optic did something yeah, to bring the hype up before they started producing can also be the you know the, the the marketing design behind it. I don't know. I think I think um, the but um, Meyer Optic, uh, when they brought that back, of course, it's not the same company. It's uh, they're just using the name. Um, but the actual price of those was was very very high before they they got involved. And it, I think they just whoever was behind it uh, looked at the the price of these things and thinking, hold on, we, we could be onto something here because we're looking at a very simple lens construction, only using mm. th- three elements. Yeah. So uh, how hard can it be to 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 make these lenses and uh, and make a lot of money from making them? Yeah, true. But again, I, as most of my favorite lenses, I've got mine for half the price. So, you know, yeah, I'm quite happy with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, you you moved to Fuji uh, from from Olympus. Um, I mean, oh, I've got both. Oh, okay. Oh, that's that's interesting. So do you, do you find yourself flipping between one to the other, depending on what you're doing? 
yes, that I, I do. I do. So Olympus, I've also got a set of autofocus lenses, you know, so if I need to, whatever, do a birthday, you know, my daughter's birthday party or whatever that where I need to like just snap you know, quickly, not necessarily finding any artistic form, but just capturing, you know, I end up using the um, autofocus lenses you know, for macro as well. Often I use uh, the Olympus macro. Um, uh, and I also use the um, classic lenses on Olympus also for the magnification, uh, you know, effect because it's a crop sensor. So if I want to do close-ups or stuff, then I would most often, um, you know, grab uh, my Oli. Yeah, also I've got one cine lens and of course on, on anything that's APS-C and above, you cannot really use those. Yeah, so in, on Olympus, it's quite nice. You know, it does vignette quite strongly, but you don't have this round in the middle, you know. So I'm quite fond of that lens too. Uh, and uh, Fuji, I mostly use for, I started using Trio Plan on it too. But I must say, on Olympus, I love it much more. Uh, but the Fuji I'm mostly using for the um, Heliar, you know, just to get the uh, wider angle. And I now also have a, a Nocton uh, 35mm 1.4, which is which gives you, you know, the effect of 50mm uh, uh, on the Fuji sensor. And I'm loving it. I also love the look, I must say. You know, it's sort of... Uh, it's not really a rangefinder, but it does look like a rangefinder, you know. So I do, I do like the old-fashioned look, too of the Fuji. This thing about um, changing from one camera system to another and whether or not you continue to keep both and go back and forth is interesting um, because it's come up in some some of the threads in different pages and um, I think about what I did. So I've gone from an EM1 to an XE2 and now I have a Sony Alpha 7 II and when I got the Fuji very quickly, I, I no longer was using the Olympus at all. I, I didn't have a reason to use it. But part of that was that I never invested in autofocus lenses dedicated to that camera, except for a couple of exceptions. Um, the image quality was better with every lens that I had on the Fuji, every classic lens, and I didn't have any reason to go back. But now I have the Sony um, and and the Fuji, and that's not true. I, I have to have both of those cameras. There's no way that I would just keep the Sony because I have a lot of small rangefinder lenses, and they, they just are better on the Fuji camera. There's just, it, From my experience, there's no comparison. They're, they, they're better on the Fuji. And then um, the SLR lenses that I have, that I thought were okay, some of them before, or just come alive on the on the Sony camera. And so I've, I kind of have two bins of lenses now, and I know, okay, these are the lenses that I'm only going to use on the Sony, and here's some lenses that I'm only going to use on the Fuji. And, um, and one of the lenses that's terrible on the Sony, is one we're going to talk about today, is the Series 1 Voigtlander Super Wide Heliar 15mm. Um, that lens is not corrected effectively to use on a full-frame digital sensor. And um, I didn't believe that, so I had to stick it on to my Sony camera. <laughs> and I got this bizarre yeah. photo with purple fringing in all of the corners and out-of-focus blurring in the corners. And um, and um, to make matters worse, to do that stupid test that I knew wouldn't work out well, when I unscrewed the lens from the E-mount adapter, I held on to it by the... Um, uh, the hood, the built-in hood that that lens has, and realized after I did it that it went very well and 
it came loose. So now it's off to California for repair by a Voigtlander dealer. And, um, but it's a brilliant lens on the Fuji. It's just fantastic. I mean, it's almost like every picture I've ever taken with that lens on the Fuji is a keeper and, and, and just wows me with the, the colors of the blue sky and the sharpness. And it's just, the images are fantastic. It's, it's, it's one of my, my prize lenses. Now, Savatlana, you don't have enough lenses for your Fuji. You, you need, you need to start investing in LTM Canon lenses. That's your, that's your next thing. Okay. Because they're fantastic on that camera and you need the series of pen, the Olympus pen lenses too. I don't think you have those. You at least need a pen 40 um, F1.4. Right now, now, wait a minute. Svetlana's got a knocked on. <laughs> well, I just sure got you wanna, Are you sure you want to go there? Yeah, I just got myself a knocked on. So if I don't want to get a divorce, you know, I maybe need to pause a bit, you know. But I wouldn't mind a Jupiter 3, to be honest. It's great. But also look at um, a Canon LTM 51.4. They're not this comparable lenses. They look different, but it's a really sweet lens on that camera, too. Don't you think, Johnny? She's got a knock on, Carl. <laughs> oh, she already has a knock on. Okay, well. You bet. Knock on is 35 It's a 35 mil. So I do, I do need a 50 mil because I really yeah. like the, yeah, um, you know, M39 or LTM for the size, you know, because it allows me to keep my handbag a bit smaller, you know. Yeah. Well, Car Carl, you got it. You have a great one. I mean, you have that, uh, you have that, well, you've got a couple of great ones. Well, a great one that's damaged and then a really great one. You've got um, the, the 51.8, <laughs> you've got the 51.8 Canon, which I mean, I think that's a, that the LTM lens, that's a beautiful little lens. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, you, you know, that to me, that one, you know, it, in terms of size and performance is, uh, that's a, just, just a great lens. Oh yeah, on the on the um, on the Canon P, it's perfect. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The the the, um, the fifty one point four LTM is too big for that camera. At least that seems like it is to me. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a that's a it's a big lens. Yeah. Yeah. Svetlana, I think uh, you've mentioned the Jupiter three, and uh, which is a fifty millimeter f one point five, and uh, I think that will be excellent uh on your on your fuji and you've got two versions of course as well you've got the ltm 39 uh, which will go straight onto the adapter that you've uh, you would already have mm -hmm. uh, but there's also the contax kiev mount version as well um, the benefit of the contax kiev version is it's cheaper um, generally significantly cheaper because uh, people don't realize that it's actually quite easy to adapt these days with a, with an adapter from Russia uh, or, the, or the Ukraine. Um, and, and then you compare it to the, the Canon LTM 51.4, it's a much smaller lens. Um, so, um, and I know that's, that's something that you value. Um, it gives a completely different look as well to the, uh, to, to the Canon which is more of a planar design, I believe. Uh, whereas, of course, the the Jupiter three is a sonar, um, and as <laughs> it's almost going to be a running joke now, uh, almost anything can be a sonar if you try hard enough. But um, <laughs> it, it it really really is uh, a sonar in the uh, the main um, scheme of things. So um, I would certainly encourage you to look down in that direction. And that's yeah, a good... yeah, there are, there are not too many good ones available, though. You know, if I. 
Um, I don't know if that's that's strictly speaking the case. I mean, certainly plenty of Jupiters. Um, some are quite notorious for sample variation. Um, the Jupiter 11, uh, Jupiter 9 to a degree. Um, the Jupiter 3, I've not actually come across a bad Jupiter 3 yet. And I've, I've probably come across about four or five of them now. And, and they've all been very, very similar to each other. Well, I'm normally on eBay, I would normally look into, you know, uh, the European Union, because otherwise with delivery, it just takes too long or things get lost. So I'm not, you know, I try to sort of, you know, source more or less locally, but and then locally, there, there are not too many available. So there, there are quite a few coming from Ukraine, etc. But I don't know how, you know, how safe it is in terms of postage. Well, if you're if you're buying on eBay um, and you're paying by PayPal, then you're pretty much covered. So if something does go wrong within, mm. I mean, the problem is it's like how long do 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 you uh, allow the postage to arrive? Because it does take longer to come from uh, Ukraine and uh, and and Russia. Uh, but ultimately, you know, there may well be a delay. But ultimately, you should actually be covered. And you know, one of the a couple of things uh, related to what you both just said. Um, first, I, I think Simon has a really interesting idea about looking for one with a, con, a context key of um, inner bayonet mount um, uh, on it because um, there's a guy in the Ukraine and his email eBay name is Kospik, K-O-S-B-I-K-84. And I've bought three adapters from him, for um, one for the Olympus and then one for the Fuji and now one for the Sony. And um, he makes them either custom made and um, you get a Helios 103 uh, lens, 53 millimeter 1.8 with it as a gift. And that also is a really good lens. So uh, not only would you have an adapter and that lens for free, and you could buy a Jupiter 3. Also, if you take off the, um, if you take the lens out, you can use it as an outer bayonet mount and get an outer bayonet mount on a Jupiter 11 or something like that, which is a really fantastic lens on the, the, uh, on the Fuji. Um, as, as far as worrying about buying things on eBay, eBay has gotten to the point where, and it's not good if you're selling lenses, um, people can return lenses for no reason at all. I'm, I recently have sold some lenses, and, and I'm not going to ever sell any modern lenses anymore where people think they're going to be like they are out of the box, um, where people have, um, I sold a Voigtlander lens, a really not beautiful lens, and the guy returned it because he didn't like the way it rendered on his camera. And I had to refund it. Another person returned a lens because um, he decided he didn't want it. Another one returned an autofocus lens because it wasn't silent when it was focusing, which I've never had one of those before. And so there's like no risk at all that I can tell of of buying anything on eBay. And sometimes I think, oh, yeah. I could buy a Leica camera and try it out for a month and then say I don't like it anymore on day 29 and get my money back for it. Yeah. Yeah, which is great because we have um, a local, well, it's actually a daughter of eBay, but there is no protection, no nothing whatsoever there. So I bought a camera recently, you know, a film camera to try my Voigtlander on. And uh, but luckily it was not an expensive one, you know, but I never got it, you know, and I'm not, I'm not getting it either, you know, so that was very sad. Oh, it never even showed up at all. That's too bad. No, no, no. And the guy disappeared too. And, ah. you know, and I, well, I have his bank account and in the Netherlands finding someone when you know the bank account, you know, it's not difficult at all because the yeah. bank, of course, has all the details. But police don't really bother with those things, you know, yeah, unless right. there are many, many people that got, you know, 
Yeah. How how do I say it in a politically correct way? <laughs> um, Lana, when you took your you took a, a series of fantastic photos in Amsterdam recently and posted them. Um, so when you go out and walk around, are you thinking of photographing particular things, or do you, are you just out enjoying you know being out in, in the nice weather and and then you, as you see things, you just frame them and and photograph them? I, I just wonder because some people you know are going out and thinking about taking particular kind of photos, and some just do walk arounds like I do. Mm. Well, the, that's the. I almost never uh, go out just, you know, for shooting because I never have time. You know, I, I work, I've got two kids and a husband and, you know, all kinds of things. So I normally try to combine, you know, I do love going to Amsterdam, but either I go for business for something or, uh, you know, to meet with friends. And then I just take pictures, you know. As, as I go. Yep. So I unfortunately never dedicate enough time. I think as kids are uh, growing up, you know, it's, it will become more um, easy to do that. But I, I normally just take my camera along everywhere I go. Yeah. And if I have an opportunity, then, then I would take shots, but I must say I've been lucky as well. So the last few times I went to Amsterdam, because I live not in Amsterdam, I live like 20 minutes uh, by train away from it in a small, boring town. Uh, but every time I went to Amsterdam, it was a sunny day. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, we've got around five sunny days in the Netherlands. So the three days I went to Amsterdam <laughs> were sunny. So, you know, but that, that's me <laughs> being very lucky. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I, I do always have in mind that, you know, when I arrange some family outing as well, I always uh, sort of uh, take into account, you know, is there, how do I arrange it in a way that I can also take a few pictures, you know? Uh, but yeah, I don't generally, unfortunately, go just to, to do photography. And when you went to that, um, on that trip, do you, do you take a, a bunch of different lenses or do you just take your Fuji and that Voigtlander and do the best that you can with that? I normally would take either just the Heliar on my Fuji or uh, I would also, um, you know, take Nocturne. It's also quite teeny. It's heavy. You know, it's uh, pretty um, heavy, but it's small. Yeah, so I just, you know, put it in my handbag and I'll have it with me. Just, just in case I want to do something else. But normally, you know, if uh, uh, an outing in Amsterdam, you know, Heliar can cover everything. You know, it, it's also got such close, um, you know, MFD that you can, you know, take shots of people with it too. So, you know, I don't, I, I cannot say that I miss more lenses when I go out with it. That's great. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to say also. I mean, I've noticed with your with your shots, Lana, that, um, I, I don't know, thinking about what you were just talking about with lens choices, does it feel like some of the lenses you use, you feel are best suited to the environment you're in? You know, in other words, that, like you mentioned the, the 15 millimeter, it, it seems like it works really well in environments where you have maybe close streets, but also those vistas, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. What's, do you have a feeling about that? Well, definitely where there's a lot to see, I think um, the the Heliar is a great tool. Yeah, mm -hmm. if I want to take picture, uh, you know, pictures of my kids, I'd probably go for uh, Nocturne. Yeah, but if if there's scenery around, then I think there there's nothing better than Heliar. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it's, there is nothing really irritating about the lens. That's that's also very <laughs> important, you know. Yeah. So I've got um, uh, and well, I'm I'm also 
you know, I can get irritated quite easily as well. That that I must say, I must say upfront. But you know, I've got well, not a lot of lenses. I maybe have about thirty, and you know, there are some that I completely love, you know, and there are others that I don't really love as much, you know. And Heliar is one of the lenses that like never irritates or disappoints or fails. So which ones irritate you? Oh, I want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so which ones irritate? So I've got I've got a, a couple of Vivitars, and uh, you know I think uh, I've got a thirty-five um, millimeter one and a twenty-eight. So the twenty-eight is uh, quite irritating somehow. You know I, I I don't know. I've also got a crappy lens. You know uh, I know J- Jason Jason Colotti would probably love to have it. It's the whatever what um, a thirty-five millimeter Carinar. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's just plain irritating you know to handle I don't know. Sorry. sorry you can cut this out if you want but I, I know you know I've had this conversation with Jason I know he just loves this type of lenses you know so seriously yeah it's not a joke but crappy lenses yeah well not crappy but say less, less, less famous I think you we might what? need to do a whole program on irritating lenses Wait, now Oh, you know I, I could do a program on irritating everything, so that's okay. You know what? Um, the, it's interesting. So we're talking about this 15 millimeter super wide Heliar, and a number of people on the page have it. Not not very many, but maybe 10. And um, and post photos periodically. I, I've almost never seen a photo. I can think of just one guy posting a picture with with a with a 10 millimeter hyper wide. Hilliar. Is that a much rarer lens for people to buy, Johnny? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the 10 is a newer lens, too. The 12, they've had a 12 millimeter out for quite some time in various mounts, but that 10 is is relatively new, I believe. And it um, was, speci- did they build that specifically? I got to look on the Voigtlander page, but I thought it was uh, specifically for. Yeah, yeah, it's an M mount, but I mean, I know they probably released it with more of the Sony in mind, honestly, than the, the maybe. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's a relatively recent lens. Um, so I, I haven't seen a whole lot from it, you know, yet personally. And I, I don't know. I mean, fifteen millimeters is really wide. Twelve millimeters is is just crazy wide. I know that Dan has a twelve, and I haven't seen him. Dan Yoshin, and I haven't seen as many photos that he's posted with the 12 than the 15 lately. So, I mean, gosh, 10 millimeters is just unimaginably wide angle of view. It's just going to be a really challenging lens to use, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the pictures I've seen posted with it looked great, but when the guy um, started talking about it, he said the same thing, that it's it's a tough one and it's good for certain circumstances, like out in a big city with a really big vista and catching a whole lot of it um, in, in, in one photo. And they're, like you say, they're really expensive. You, you can get a Series 1 Super Wide Hilly R15 for, you know, 300 and something dollars plus a viewer. And um, so it's within range of most of us buying, but I think the 10 might be up in the $700 yeah. price range or more. I don't at know. It's yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot. But yeah, I, I was um, disappointed to find out that the 15 doesn't work well on the Sony and because uh, I like it so much. But um, and, and, and for a while, I almost was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to buy a Series 3. But then, and then, I, then I thought, that that's that doesn't make any sense. I'll just use I'll use what I have on the Fuji. The pictures are great. I think I'm one of the well, I th- well actually I'm the only person here that's not a 
uh, that doesn't have that lens um, in any version. Um, I do have the uh, Samyang 40mm 2.8, uh, which is a, a much, much larger lens. But then again, it, it needs to be because it's um, an f2.8 lens. Um, but I've always, I've always, I've, I listen to you guys talking and, and I see Svetlana's photos and I think this is this is really nice, but I, I just keep on struggling to get past f4.5. And the, I guess the reason for that is I like a lens to be able to do as many things as possible. And one thing I do admittedly not very often but occasionally is astrophotography and a, and a 4.5 50mm lens is just not going to cut it for me whereas it, it does a really good job um, as in the Samyang does a really good job so uh, I, I just I just it irks me a little bit that I'd actually have two 15mm 114 and 150mm lens almost for a case of for different uses but certainly I wouldn't want to do any kind of street photography with the uh, with this huge Samyang um, yeah but, yeah but I, I sort of get the appeal of it but I just don't know I just can't get excited by it well you know well, Simon yeah. um, the, that Samyang lens um, I used to use it on the Olympus so okay that was a 24mm then and I and I used it. No, no, Carl, Carl, you didn't. You had the twelve millimeter, which is a, the twelve. A, yeah, so, so yeah, I, right. that's so an use, APS-C lens. So it's it's not the so, same lens. So I used the twelve millimeter in um, Washington D.C. for street photography, and um, thought it was great. But in Washington D.C., you can walk right up to protesters and take a photo from about five feet away from them, and and they don't mind. But um, one of the reasons maybe you don't have the Hilliar and the, and the, I have it and Johnny has it is that we've got these small cameras that we're using out in the street and we're thinking about tiny lenses to put onto them. And I could never think of, I would never imagine putting a Samyang lens on that, my little XE2, but the super wide Hilliar works perfectly. But I got to say, um, we like it a lot, but if you start looking at the images, um, you, you, and, and if you care about corners and edges and things, it's not perfect. And, so I did this comparison that people um, actually criticized last week, and I only did it for one reason. I, I wanted to know, okay, I, I have a Sony camera now. I like to shoot wide-angle shots when I go to the beach, and I like to do that when I go in cities. Do I now have to buy a very expensive lens to do wide-angle shots, or is my AI-24 good enough? And, and that's when I did that strange, seemingly strange comparison of taking a Fuji camera with the 15-millimeter Hilliar, which is a 22-millimeter full-frame equivalent, and shooting a couple of shots and then comparing it to the, um, the AI-24 on the Sony. And I, and I think they're pretty darn close. And in fact, the Sony uh, and the 24-millimeter AI has better corner and edge sharpness. And maybe it's not quite as punchy in the middle, but I'm happy now that I can go places like I uh, on vacation at the beach, and um, I'll take that 24, and that's going to be my wide-angle lens. And so they pause, and they're all on mute except for Johnny, and he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> well, I, I've got something to say. I think, like, who cares about corners? You know, I, I, never, I, know. I never look corners. <laughs> right. But again, that's that's me being a very professional <laughs> photographer. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. That's a good point. 
Yeah, so Simon cares about corners. He's very, very concerned about corners. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's a yes and no, though. It, it's it's a case. I, I'm I'm very concerned about corners with a with a wide angle lens. If I'm doing uh, landscape or I'm doing star photography, uh, because I don't want blurry stars. Um, but as I say, it's not really the same kind of use case uh, as as what most people are using the uh, the the Voigtlander for. I think that you know. Lately, I, I've been printing out um, my photographs in a relatively large size for this local camera club that I'm in now and, and framing them. And, and, and now I'm starting also to look at corners, too, because I'm seeing the whole picture hanging there on my wall. And so it's different than, than looking at it on the screen. Well, <laughs> pr printing is, a good, is an interesting thing. I don't know if – well, I never print. I never print, which which is I think completely wrong. So I should. I was thinking of starting to do that as as well. It isn't wrong, but it's interesting um, because I was really amazed when I first. So I, we have this little camera club. There's just eight of us, and the last Sunday of every month in the morning, we all meet and um, talk about. Um, uh, we we all bring in a, a matted print, and and we tell the other people like, why did we take this picture and what we're we trying to accomplish, and then we critique it or say it's great or whatever and then we go out and we have a theme for walking around and that that's the first time i ever printed any of my photos and um print images can look so much better than what you're seeing on your computer screen it just blew me away i didn't think i thought it would be the opposite but it's not they, um they, they really are nice and so now i've probably printed you know more i've got more photos printed that i can hang up on my walls and so they're stacked up in the corner in my in my office but um yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah, I I'm I'm kind of with Svetlana there. I I don't print photos because I frankly I don't have money for it. Um, I I could make prints, but then I'd it would be money I would not be spending on things like film, <laughs> more more lenses, more stuff. So I don't really make prints. But I, you know, I I think the pixel peeping thing here, um, it does all break down when you start to look at prints also because we look at things and we say, Oh, those corners are terrible, but I printed at viewing distance. You don't see any of that stuff. And I, I think that is a factor to keep in mind is that, you know, um, judging a lens based on what it does by zooming in on pixels and corners is just not reality to some degree. And, you know, I, I, I guess for me, the 15 millimeter, you know, the trade-off would be, um, do I want to carry a, a gigantic, you know, fast wide angle lens that's going to have a lot more distortions or a smaller, slower lens that I know I can handhold at a, you know, 10th of a second easily without any image stabilization on a film or a digital camera. And I'm going to take the smaller one <laughs> that's right. better corrected. Um, I guess, so I guess my thing it would just be, <clears throat> okay, if you're a, Fu a Fuji camera user right now, and you're using a, a super wide Hilliard 15 millimeter or something like that. And then you transition over to a Sony system. <clears throat> you can use a 24 millimeter high quality lens and you're going to get the same kind of image that you're used to. It's going to work for you. You don't have to go out hunting for a 15 millimeter lens to put on the Sony. That's all I wanted to find out when I did that test and it worked. So, yeah, but that's, Say, so what you're really testing is 20, 20 to 24 millimeter lenses though, right? I mean, um, it, well, 22 to versus yeah, 24. Yeah. The, in other words, angle of view versus, um, you know, the actual lens, uh, you know, the angle of view 
relative, you know, across systems versus a, a super wide lens at, you know, below 20 millimeters is I guess what I'm saying. Right. And, yeah. and, and that, and that's where things get different is when you're actually using those super wide lenses at the actual field of view they were intended to provide, you know? Um, and so once you get below 20 millimeters and you're in just ultra wide territory, um, it's, you know, the, those design, um, those design differences between a, like a 4.5 lens versus a, you know, a much faster lens, it really exacerbates everything. And so if, if you're really using them at that, you know, full, full 35 millimeter angle of view, um, there's a lot of differences between the two. And, and I, you know, I, I know what Simon's saying. I mean, if you're doing something like astrophotography, sure, you probably want that faster, wider lens, you know, but that's a really specific use for it. And I don't think you can, you know, I think it, that makes a case for owning more than one in that, in that case, you know, because I think you're, you're talking about such different uses that it can, you can justify owning more than one ultra wide lens. And I guess it's worth um, pointing out for people who don't um, have familiarity with these Voigtlander super wide lenses that we've been talking about a series one, <clears throat> which is not a whole lens. It's relatively recent, what, 1990s, I guess. And then there's a Series 2 that came out after that, and now there's a Series 3. And the Series 1 isn't optimized for a full-frame digital sensor. No, so, full-frame digital so, isn't optimized yeah. for the lens. Let's yeah, make so, sure. So, 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 right. So there's there's you know, there's light going at a, it's a tremendous angle uh, yeah. towards the edges and, and hitting those little pits with the sense, uh, element, sensor elements in them, and you're getting the distortion. And, but the Series 3 apparently is optimized to work better on the um, – on a digital, although people have commented online that no, it isn't that much better. I don't know. I hope it's not as, as what I saw. Um, it's a very expensive lens. Very expensive lens. Svetlana, I just want to come back to to you actually because um, you you talked about that incident with the camera that you tried to purchase that uh, that you had the problem with there, um, but that. That camera, if I remember correctly, that's a film camera, um, <laughs> and that's something that uh, shooting with film is obviously something that in interests you, that you're heading in that direction. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Again, it's not without influence of the group, so you know that there, there are a lot of influences. But I'm not buying a Sony uh, full frame. That <laughs> la la da da. So I didn't hear anything about Sony. Um, so yes, I want to try full frame, and I want to try it also with the Helior, uh, specifically with Nocturne as well, uh, but on film. Yeah, I really like the look, but I also want to learn to work a little bit more, say manual. Yeah, because even if you do like manual stuff, you're you're still getting a lot of support of your uh, you know advanced digital uh, camera. So yes, I do want to try film, but I don't know if I like it, if I'll manage it, you know, if if I ever have time to develop, you know, the the prints. So I don't want to very heavily invest but i do like sort of a nice you know nice camera so I, I want something that's sort of cheap enough but nice enough to also use with the um you know with the void lander void lenders if if i find something you know yeah there was a that was a good conversation i thought in the group this week mm -hmm. uh so when you when you did bring that up and i i still i feel so bad that you didn't get your camera that's awful <laughs> Um, but I mean, hope, hopefully you'll get to, you know, find something soon and get to experience that. Yeah. 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 
So my husband asked, like, should should you know, if you ever uh, find you know where that guy lives, let me know. I said, like, why? I said, you cannot just come there with your baseball bat. You know, it's the Netherlands. You cannot do that. He said, no, 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 no. I'll just nicely ask him to to. <laughs> well, well, let's drop it. Let's drop it. So, uh, yeah. No, I, I don't think I'll uh, get this one, but maybe I'll go for another one. But again, you know, you need to sit down, think and research and, you know, sure. do the stuff. So yeah. it probably will take me a few weeks to get there, yeah. but I'll get there. I, I th- What I thought was interesting about that conversation, Svetlana, is you were, you know, you have lenses that you already like and you were trying to figure out what to use them on, which in some ways is, you know, different than someone who's maybe getting started and, they they don't have the lenses yet, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it does kind of like dictate your your choices a little bit. Um, yeah. So you know, I thought that was an interesting conversation because there are a lot of ideas thrown around. But I mean, if you're starting from a point where all right, I already have the lenses, and what camera do I want to pick versus the other way around? <laughs> your you know, obviously your camera choices are are somewhat dictated by or very much dictated by the lenses, right? Because it yeah. has to be the right working distance. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I think it's um, interesting to think about uh, someone who's starting out with film photography, what camera should I buy? And so uh, a lot yeah. of people will, will say, oh, um, get something that isn't real expensive in case you don't like it. But if, if you if you go too far that way, you'll get something that isn't um, fun to use and doesn't produce good results, and it'll turn you off to film photography. And the only reason that you're turned off is because you didn't buy a, a decent camera. So, you know, that's why I said, well, get a Canon P. It's not real expensive. And it's a really nice camera. Yeah, I've, I've had a one good. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's, it's an M39 one, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, so I cannot use my Noxon on it, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. tons of M. Yeah, that's it's M. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if I cannot find anything um, reasonable, you know, in the M range, you know, I'm happy to try the M39 too. Right. Uh, yeah, so the, the Canon, the P, and there was another one, I think, uh, the 7, right? So that they are on the options list, but maybe I'll try to go again for a Bessity. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, I've, that... I've got, you know, into trouble once. It shouldn't statistically shouldn't happen that soon again. Yeah, yeah. the, the Bessas are, I mean, that's the thing. If you've got an M mount lens, there's not really a lot of choices in terms of film mm-hmm. camera. I mean, you can basically either get a, you know, an old, older Leica, you know, a, um, older Leica film camera, a Bessa, or maybe something like a, you know, a, a Hexar, but that's going to be yeah, really that's expensive. expensive. Yeah. So, I mean, really, I, that to me, the, the mm. Bessas are, you know, the, the best for the, probably the best, most affordable option, because I mean, even if you do find a Leica, it's going to be probably an older, you know, M2, M3 and might need some work because I know Me people like, yeah, 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 right. Exactly. No meter. And, oh, you know, because I'm not that good, you know, I'm not going to walk around with an external meter, you know? Yeah. So I'm really looking for something that has the metering. Right. But, you know, before I go for a Leica, then I want to be sure that, you know, I like this. <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. Well, you know, my brother just got a um, Voigtlander RM4. Or is it RM4, Johnny, or R4M? I don't know. But anyway, he really likes it. And um, it's a little bit more expensive, though, I think. Than mm-hmm. maybe yeah. yeah, I think it's the range of 800 or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, T, you can have more. it for like 200. Mm. Right, right. 
Well, I've got uh, one last question that I, I want to uh, uh, put to you, Svetlana, and and that's our our group, uh, the makeup our group is ninety one percent male, and uh, so you're in a very very significant minority. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to say, within the, the top ten posters, you're, um, you're 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 well up there. In fact, you're actually the seventh most um, prolific poster for the last month, uh, which is uh, not including the admins. Um, so um, you're, you're certainly punching above your weight there. Um, but I'm I'm just wondering what your your view is on that, that statistic um, that you know, there's so few women in in our group and uh, what that's. You, know, you can say bad things if you wish, um, but what what that says really about. Um, Possibly photography, but possibly photography with classic lenses, or or, or whatever you make of that. Well, a prolific poster. I hope it's not because I'm posting too much. I mean, I can I can do less, but no, no, no. no. <laughs> um, now. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think there are a lot of women in photography. It's hard for me to judge because I'm not really a pro, you know, so I don't talk to uh, professional photographers actually outside of this group. I know there are quite a few there, but, you know, I'm not in that circle. So I've got no clue how it stands with women in photography in general. I think there are probably enough in the group. I It's probably also the technical aspect, like who on earth would want to use old lenses you know so that's um, I think that a lot of women just don't uh, get there yeah plus I've got of course a theory that maybe um, you know we're we have more things to do like you know doing homework with the kids and um, you know arranging stuff and which leaves a lot less time for the hobby yeah so I do I do my um, you know photography stuff at night yeah so when everything is done and work is finished and kids are asleep but it's yeah, it, it it does take time. You know, I wish I could do this more. So this could be this could be you know a reason. Um, you know, the the technical element, the understanding, and willing to mess with like adapters and flange distances and you know fungus cleaning and that type of stuff, and also the maybe the lack of um, time. I hope I haven't upset any. Uh, no, not not not. Um, <laughs> Not, 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 not at all, and it make, it makes a, a great deal of sense. And actually, the way you've just put it across there, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I can see exactly why women aren't getting involved in this. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I can certainly relate to that. I don't really, you know, despite working in a camera store all day long, I don't really get to actually do my own stuff except when I'm walking back and forth to work. I mean, that's when I take, you know, 95% of my, my photos is – walking around either before work after work or on a lunch break i i god i rarely get out to just shoot for the sake of shooting and i that's been how i've done it my whole life really um and and i don't know so i can relate to that i mean it's hard to do it's hard to have make time i guess to do photography in life unless you're just motivated to find the moments when you can do it um and it, it, yeah i can i guess i can relate to that too even though i don't i'm not really full time you know, raising children or anything. So it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing because I'm full-time raising children, but I'm yeah. also working full-time, you know, right, <laughs> so right, it's two, sure. two, two full-time. So it has to fit in between, but I love it, you know, um, strongly enough yes. to find 
an opportunity, you know, so you really have to love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are more women doing photography, but maybe not with classic lenses because, you know, I think it's just finding out about this. You also have to be curious enough to sort of find out about this you know, and then mess with it. And then, uh, you know, hear all the guys in the group tell you, yeah, yeah, you just have to shave the metal off like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think on that note, uh, we'll bring things to an end. Svetlana, thank you very much for being our guest today. Um, it's been, you've been very entertaining and very interesting. Um, so we'll wrap things off as we normally do. Uh, Johnny, perhaps you can, tell our listeners how they can follow you and keep up with you in various social media outlets uh yeah sure um i am on primarily instagram most days i i post a photo there and i'm at sisson photography on instagram Uh, i'm also at the camera sales counter at central camera company in chicago uh most days so you can find me there and also want to give a shout out to uh, the Classic Lenses Instagram, which we mentioned uh, a little bit end of last week. Um, and there's actually some activity starting to pick up there. So you can find that at uh, on Instagram as classic.lenses. Um, and if you tag your uh, your photos, if you're on Instagram with, with hashtag classic lenses, we can include them in the feature group there, the Instagram feature group. So please, please do that as well. I'm Cole. Okay, mainly on the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page. I also have a Flickr page. It's just Carl Havens. And then my Instagram is Carl Havens and with an underscore between the Carl and the Havens. And Lana. Well, um, a lot of my photos with classic lenses can be found on the uh, Photography with Classic Lenses uh, group page, but I also have a page on 500px.com. So it's 500px.com slash Lana Belinsky. And I can be found in a few places. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I'm on Flickr as Simon Forster. You can find my eBay shop doing a set for, if you do a seller search for It's Fozzy, that's I-T-S-F-O-Z-Z-Y. Uh, I have a Facebook group, which is probably easier to just to look up uh, Simon Forster Photographic. Um, and you can find us all on the Facebook group Photography with Classic Lenses. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and it'd be great if you can join us again next week. Goodbye. Hey, Simon. <laughs> As ever. <laughs> Go for it. Um, just apropos of our conversation, I had meant to, uh, a couple episodes ago, um, give a shout out to uh, my my mentor and uh, photography teacher and um, I guess biggest inspiration photographically for my entire life, which is uh, Barbara Crane, who uh, just turned 90 years old. She's a photographer here in Chicago who I... Um, was my instructor at the School of the Art Institute and she just turned 90 and had a couple of great shows here in Chicago Um, and also someone who um, you know balanced uh, a lot of time in her career balancing you know raising kids and etc with being a a professional photographer a fine art photographer and um, really just an incredible inspiration so I I mean to give Barbara a shout out her her birthday was uh, middle of March and um, congratulations, Barbara. So, so there's that. And please take a look at her work. If uh, if you don't know Barbara's work, it's really amazing. You know, one of the things I, I, um, I didn't relate to this episode, so I didn't mention it, but I want to say in, the, in one of the next podcasts, some people do this, and I've started to do it myself. Um, Facebook is just horrible at um, creating banding in the sky with certain kind of photos. 
And so with a couple of my recent posts, I've given the link to the Flickr image. So people, if they want to see what it really looks like, they can go there and uh, they will see more of that. It doesn't do anything to degrade from our page and it'll let people see what does a, what does a photo really look like uh, when, it's a, when it's a really nice image. Because you know, the Facebook image is just really our crap. Well, well, I didn't say it. Carl said the C word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a sky in the image that has a varying shade of blue or something else, and, and you're going to end up with bands and that, and that aren't there and blotches and all sorts of things. So much sausage making here today. Wow. Good. I have no idea what you're talking about, but go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>